So on March 11th this year, as a Tuesday, I was in a pastor's meeting that the College Park pastors have every other Tuesday. We go through kind of some directional things, and Joe Bartimus was passing out the preaching schedule for the book of Philippians for the summer. And I was joyfully stunned when I looked down and saw my name on May 18th. And the reason I was stunned was because this is the fifth time that I've preached in a College Park morning service. Now, many of you have told me you like my preaching, but you always do it right after Nate got done preaching and you think you're talking to Nate. It's a true story. It's true. It's true. But the reason, the reason I had such joy is because this month, May, is my wife, Sarah, and my 33rd anniversary. And for 29 of the 33 years that we've been together, College Park has been our home. We have been members of College Park for 29 years. And I thought, as I just prepared this week, I had these kind of this introduction of stories that might help set a framework for you about this church and what this church is about. And I would appreciate it. I know I love clapping people, but if I, if I get clapped, I'll lose my momentum and I'll be starting and stopping. So if you want to say amen or um, well, 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 like Keith White does, you sure can. But let me just tell you these four quick stories, and each of them represents a decade. There's the 80s, there's the 90s, there's the 2000s, and the, t- the 2010s. And in 1986, I stood up in front of College Park Church. It was a small group of about 50 people meeting at the Holiday Inn. I was 28 years old. It was an evening service. And I said, help. I need help. I thought I had a small little problem with drinking and my eyes have been opened and I am terribly addicted and not just to drinking but to debauchery, to deceit, to idolatry. And by the way, I just lost my teaching job at Heritage Christian School in such a way that it feels like the whole city of Indianapolis knows. And the people of College Park, that little band of ragamuffin people came around me and with a tough and a holy but a gentle love walked with me until the second story, May of 1999. I'm standing in front of the church in the second sanctuary and I'm a candidate to become the junior high director and the outreach director. Very strange job description, but the church voted... 292 to 4 that I should do that. And that is extravagant grace. The third story is probably the saddest day in the life of our church. It was November 23rd, 2006. It was again in the second sanctuary. It was a Thanksgiving weekend. And we had a plan that we had to announce that day that our founding pastor, who'd meant a lot to so many people, Kimber Kaufman, that he was resigning and that he would not be coming back. And my goal that my role that day was to pray for the Kaufman family. And also to point to a vision that the College Park Church leadership team would try to take the church in this huge season of difficult transition. And by the way, that morning was the first time that the scripture reader finished reading the scripture and said, This is the word of the Lord as a reminder 
that our church was built on the word of God and not on a human being. And every Sunday since, that's been a part of our tradition. And then I fast forward again to September 18th, 2011. And I'm standing right here with many of you. And we're doing a call to worship, talking about the preeminence of Jesus in this new sanctuary, the very first day we ever met as a church in here, where Nate Irwin said, this is for that. And I'll never forget walking down those four stairs and just being stunned by the grace that has made this church go from a church that had some real health issues to a church that was vibrant and was able to grow and expand its focus. And as I thought about preparing this week... I was just so amazed of the community that Sarah and I have experienced in this church. And part of it has to do with my job, but it's just bizarre that I can look around this auditorium and it seems like I know most of you. And it might be that I know you from the atrium and saying hi and thank you for coming, or that you've been to Newcomer Night, or you're one of the 900 people who've been through the membership class in the last few years. Or maybe there's some of you here today that God has given me this amazing privilege of having you come into my office and me talking about sin and grace and the cross and repentance and faith and watching you come alive and weep with tears of joy. Or there's other men who've been in my office who are crying, weeping bitter tears as they face the reality that sin has consequences, that the way of the transgressor is indeed hard and God, because of my history, would allow me to help them but there's been a tremendous sense of community one of my favorite memories in all of the world is I can't tell you how many weddings I've done and I watch this father come down the aisle holding his daughter on his arm trying to keep his emotions together as he gets ready to give his daughter away you know I even experienced community this morning when I got dressed I put on shoes, this is the truth, that Tom Hughes gave me. My belt came from Don Essig. My shirt is not the same shirt, but it's exactly like a shirt that Frank Wilson gave me. My tie came from Kyle and Katie Scholenberg, so I would match their wedding outfit. The suit, the suit came from Phil Van Gelder, and I had this fun thought of dressing this way intentionally until I realized, what if everybody came back and demanded their clothes back this morning? (laughs) Then I would be in trouble. So March 3rd, 1985, was our very first service that we met in a Holiday Inn. And Kim Kaufman preached a sermon, and the sermon's focus was about the Word of God. He, he started off, he led off with a quote by Charles Haddon Spurgeon that if a church built its life on the Word of God, it would do more than endure, it would thrive. And I'll never forget this, catch this. He's 28 years old and he says, Oh God, that we might be a church that is still standing on the Word of God in 50 years, which to us at 28 years old seemed like that's forever. And here we are, next year, we're 30 years in, and we're still standing on the Word of God. You know what really helps me when I prepare for my own personal devotions? I like to take the Bible, and I like to just say, this is God's Word. 
and then I like to do it again. I hold it up, and I just, just hearing that, just resonating with me. This, this, is, is God's word. C.S. Lewis, in an essay he wrote called Myth Became Fact, he said this, The Bible is factual, objective, and historical truth, but the scope of what we are looking at is mythical in proportion. We need to be people who love truth and who hold on to the truth, but we need to have a part of ourselves give ourselves to God's word in such a way that we follow the thinking of Travis Buchanan who wrote about this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, C.S. Lewis was not denying the historicity of the scriptures, but there is a property to the Bible that goes beyond fact. The story of Jesus is completely historical, factual, objective, and true, and And yet the scope of our story carries a mythical latitude. We must not be ashamed of the mythical radiance resting on our theology. We must not in false spirituality withhold our imaginative welcome. This is the marriage of heaven and earth. Perfect myth. God became man and perfect fact, claiming not only our love and our obedience, but also our wonder and our delight. And my prayer for you this morning would be that just as God has captured me through Philippians 1, 27 and 30, so that it's more than just the words of Paul, but it's God speaking to me and giving me hope and direction and power, that's what I hope would come through today. The Word of God is living, it's active, it's eternal, it's God speak. I've been processing this. Do you think there's a chance, possibly, that since the Word of God is eternal, that we might take it with us into heaven? And we might be opening up our Bibles in heaven and listening to Moses preach through the Pentateuch? Get done with that, we'd say, wow, we thought Mark Vrogop was good in Exodus. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe it's a bridge that we see Jesus as we've never seen him before in the scriptures when we get into the new heavens and the new earth. So I want you to listen to Philippians 1 today. I just want to quote part of it or all of it to you. And I want you just to think about this. Paul is in a Roman prison. He's writing. He's chained to a guy. And God is breathing into Paul. So that while Paul maintains his humanity and his personality, his writings produce the thoughts and the ideas that are God's thoughts and not Paul's. And so this is God's word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the elders and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and 
confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my life, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to see you again. And here's today's text. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Would you say with me, this is God's word? This is God's word. Let's pray and we'll look at the text. Father, please speak to us. Thank you for the music and the scriptures and everything, the gifts that you have. We just ask everyone to be open, God, by your spirit and for your truth to penetrate and to help us live a different kind of life going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So three weeks ago, Joe Bart preached our introduction sermon about how Paul loved the Philippians and how he was praying for them. And then Nate preached two weeks ago on Paul's gospel-driven life. And last week, Andrew Rogers preached on Paul's beautiful summary of his life, to live is Christ. Now, Paul is going to make a turn in his writing, and he's going to turn away from his own um, life and testimony, and he's going to start looking at the Philippians' life and how he wants them to live. And he really does two things, and we're going to look at this. This is going to be our entire sermon today. It won't take long. I'll be done on time. But um, first, first, Paul's going to commute communicate an all-encompassing vision statement for their lives, something that is the strongest appeal that Paul makes in the entire letter, and every other appeal he makes is based on this appeal, and it's only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, it's just because I probably won't get done with everything, I do want you to see that there are four fruits so that if we live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that there will be four fruits, okay? So look up here and it says that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind and you're working side by side. So the first fruit would be unity. One mind, one spirit, side by side. The second would be that there's a fruit of energy because that word striving is the word where we get the word athlete and has to do with working and laboring. So there's a striving and energy when we get the gospel right in our lives. The third thing is that there's courage, that we're not frightened in anything by our opponents. And then the fourth thing is that it has been granted to us for the sake of Christ that not only we believe but we suffer for his sake. So the fourth fruit would be that we have the right kind of perspective about suffering, that we see it as a grace of God, just like we see the, the gift of salvation as a grace, so we'd, be, so we'd be suffering. So here's my appeal to you before we look at Paul's appeal. How many of you would like to say, yeah, I want unity, I want courage, I want energy, and if I suffer, I want to do it well. How many, does that sound good? That, that's a beautiful appeal. That appealed to me. Here's how we can do that. First of all, we got to look at Paul's appeal And it's 13 words. Those of you who were here last week, you heard Andrew Rogers talk about a couplet called Fence Makes Sense. Well, here's a couplet that I would like for us as a church to learn this morning. It's 13 words, and it's this appeal. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It kind of rhymes. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So we're going to learn this. Men first, women second, children third. And you'll see what I mean as we go through this. So men, let's learn this by reading it aloud. You ready? Men, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, women, only let your manner, good, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Good. All right, children. If you're 18 or under, okay, we've got a little crowd here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And let's all say it together one more time. And let's see if we can get this into our brains so that this next week, this verse comes back and haunts us in a beautiful way. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What I'd like to do 
for the majority of our time left is I want you to just think about the gospel with me. I want you just to just sit back and just let this soak into you and let it impact you the way it has me. So two weeks ago, Nate described the gospel as Jesus doing for you what you can't do for yourselves. In Philippians 2, 1 through 11, the gospel is kind of described this way. Jesus became man. Jesus became sin. Uh, Mark Vrogop recently posted a video on uh, our website called What is the Gospel? If you went to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, you could see that um, that's the best chapter in the Bible, I think, to understand a description of the gospel. The book of Romans would be the best book to understand the gospel. And six times, six times in Philippians chapter 1, the word gospel is used. And what I, what I was doing when I was meditating and preparing for this uh, sermon today, I, just, I started thinking about the most simple definition of the gospel. The most simple definition is its Greek meaning, and it just means, anybody know? Good news. It means good news. And I want us just to think about, when we say we have the gospel, we are saying we have good news. We are saying um, that only let your man or life be a worthy response to good news. So some of you parents who are older, you know the feeling when you get a phone call after 2 a.m. in the morning. When that phone rings, you're usually thinking it's bad news and your heart sinks and you're, you're afraid because it's one of your kids and they're in trouble. But Paul's talking about good news. How do you respond to good news? I mean, just not, not talking vertically yet. Just what happens in your life when you get good news? Some of you know we closed on our house this week. Sold it to a College Park family, Kyle and Stephanie Bingle. And here's how it happened. We hadn't listed it with a realtor. And on Wednesday, Kyle came over for some prayer time with me. And he was looking around the house. He hadn't been in our house. And he liked it. And his family was living with their in-laws because they'd recently sold that was wednesday on thursday kyle asked if his wife stephanie could come over she came over on thursday on friday stephanie's mom came over who's a realtor on saturday we had a phone call kyle and i and we agreed that we had a price and kyle really liked the price and sarah and i really loved the price (laughs) And I got off the phone. Please think, think about this with me so we can transfer it. I got off the phone and I said, Sarah, I have good news. We didn't have to list it with a realtor. We love realtors. We've used them in the past. We didn't have to. We didn't have to get out of our house for showings. That there was going to be a slow and a, a slow ch- changeover so we can move out slowly. They can move in slowly. They have the same birth order of kids, boy, boy, girl, boy, that we have. And we love our home. We've lived there 20 years and that really meant something to us. That the the, the love that's been in our home could continue. I want to tell you something, guys. Listen, for at least five days, that good news energized me. My kids called and I had, you need something. How can I help you? And, and there's just this, this I, my running had a different energy. Everything was different because of the good news. 
So let's look at this vertically. There's a beautiful quote, one of my favorite books. This this quote has changed my life. It is by Milton Vincent, and it's called The Gospel Primer. And we give this to every new member in our church. Now, this is where we're really going to camp out. But the good news is so foolish. It's so foolish, according to my natural wisdom. It's so scandalous, according to my conscience. And it's so incredible, according to my timid heart, that it is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it as I should. There is simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemnings of my heart, and the lies of the world and the devil than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the good news. Now let me just show you some key words by memory. Um, it It is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it by daily rehearsing on the gospel. You see, we've got it wrong, I think, at least I have in the past, is I've spent way too much time internalizing, looking at my own life, measuring am I walking worthy, kind of, kind of just up and down based on that. And this quote is telling me, no. This is saying, your daily battle, it's won or lost by the daily rehearsing of the full scope of the gospel. So the full scope of the gospel includes past and includes present and it includes future. And I just want to give you some examples of how we should be processing our thoughts as a church so that as the gospel begins to become elevated and we're captured by it and we love it, guess what's going to happen? Your manner of life will just follow. <laughs> that it's if we can win the battle of getting the gospel and the full scope in our minds I, I, trust me the world is the life is easy because we've got we've got this scope of seeing reality so the gospel includes my past if you were to look hard and long at colossians 2 here's what you'd see you'd see that jesus was god Again, God became man, this myth-like reality we could spend the rest of eternity thinking about. He became a man. He lived this human life. And then he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he took a list of names. And one of the names on the list was Dale Reese Shaw. And under the list of Dale Reese Shaw was a list of every single sin and violation and cosmic treason, sins of attitude, sins of motive, drunkenness, lust, debauchery, lying, idolatry, self-absorption. And God, because of who he is in his beauty, he hates that kind of ugliness and he has a revulsion to it and that revulsion had built up and filled this eternal cup of God's right anger about my cosmic treason so that when Jesus was on the cross God took that cup that should have come to me and he poured it on his son who'd never done anything so that Jesus was on the cross and he's like, God, I'm rejected by you. I can't, I can't take this. I can't stand it. And then at the end, Jesus says, with my name in mind, that list, that list 
the payment for that list, it's accomplished, it's finished. My friends, that's good news. If we could just spend our time Instead of doing whatever we're doing, just kind of adjust some things so we're groping with the full scope of the gospel and we're rehearsing it so that as I tell the young men I'm discipling, so we get it in our bones, then we're going to live our life will be worthy of the gospel because the gospel is going to be so high. Doug, can I use you as an example? Would you stand up? This is big Doug. We're on time frame here. All right, just stand right here. This is Doug. This is not rehearsed, true? Not rehearsed. He doesn't know this was coming. So here's the deal with Doug. Doug is a follower of Jesus, are you not? Amen. And we just, I just want you to think about you being right here where Doug is and how you might just soak in this in a more real sense by thinking that you're here with Doug and you're following Jesus. And the scope of the gospel doesn't just cover our past, but it covers our future. I'm sorry, it does cover our future, but it covers our present day. So what if Doug gets up in the morning and he turns to 2 Peter chapter 1 and he begins to internalize that and he says, His, God's divine power, has given Doug everything he needs for life and godliness. And Doug's like, wow, today his power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. I wonder how that happens. Through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness. And Doug can rest that he's been called not by his efforts, but by the glory and goodness of Jesus. And then he keeps reading and he says, through these, through his glory and goodness, God has given to us his great and precious promises. Doug says, I've got promises for today from God. So that through those promises, Doug might participate in the divine nature. That's powerful. You think Doug's going to have a pretty good day? <laughs> I, good job, man. Thank you. <laughs> so the gospel covers our present. The gospel also covers our future. As I get older, I... 56 years old and as I get older this becomes very meaningful to me that we want to rehearse daily rehearse the daily battle is to daily rehearse the full scope of the gospel and the gospel includes my future so that I believe as I chew and take into my bones Revelation 21 that my future includes looking up and seeing a new heaven coming down to a new earth That it's not remote. It's not like we're up in the clouds with halos floating. It's a new heaven and a new earth. God made the world. And then we wrecked the world. Now God's redeeming the world to restore the world. And that's our future. Piper, when he was here for Think... Excuse me. Dr. Piper, when he was here for Think 14, he told this story that whatever it is you like to do that's righteous... 
If you like to go hiking, that's not going to change. It's just going to be redeemed. You're going to be in heaven. And he said, you're going to hike a vista for a year and you're finally going to get to the top. You're going to see it like you've never saw it before because there's no corruption. And then you're going to look and there's another one for 10 years you climb. And you just go on and on. My wife's an artist. She's not going to not be an artist in the new heaven. She's going to be a redeemed artist. This is our future. It's not far away. It's right here. It's right now. God's coming back and he's going to redeem this world. And you know what he's going to do to me? He's going to take my bones, assuming I die and I'm in the ground. He's going to take my bones, the corruptible, mortal Dale Shaw that's in the ground. And he's going to breathe into it. And he's going to raise me. The Bible says he's going to raise me. My spirit will have been with Jesus in some form of paradise. And God is going to raise me. And he's going to connect who I am with this body. And I'm going to be incorruptible. And I'm going to be immortal. And I'm going to be on the new heavens. And I'm going to be in the new earth. And the king, as Hebrews 1.9 says, that the father says of the son, your throne, oh God, will last forever and ever. And then he says this, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And our kingdom is going to be everything right. And that's our future. We need to wrestle with that. We need to wrestle with that and believe the full scope of it as we should. C.S. Lewis wrote this on incorruptible and immortal future human beings. He said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be, one day be a redeemed creature who, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. That's you if you're in Christ. That's good news. Past, all covered. Good news. Present, divine power. Partakers of the divine nature. Future, nothing but good. Nothing but good. That's the scope of the gospel. And so Paul tells us that when we make the gospel our root, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that when we elevate the gospel in our lives, then our lives will change. And here's some of the things he says, and I'll be somewhat brief here. First, Paul says that there will be a oneness and a beautiful unity because of the gospel. Look in verse 27. We looked at it before. We'll, um, that he says that we'll have one spirit. We'll stand firm with one spirit. We'll have one mind. We'll be side by side. And then if you look down at 2, 2, there's four more references to unity. Being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And some people think in Philippians 2 that there's a reference to Father, Son, and Spirit. Because it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, which might be a reference to the Father's love, and any participation in the Spirit. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Paul is making an appeal to the Philippians that because of who God is... They should get, get along. This has been so helpful to my thinking. So when you think about who is God, if someone asks you that on the street, would you, might, you might say God is love. You might say God is holy. I don't know what you'd say, but here's what I'd say. I would say this. 
Say, my starting point, clearly, according to the Bible, about God is this. God, there is one God. I'm sorry, here's what I'd say. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. That's our starting point. Because if there was only one God and there was how could God love if there's nothing, no object to love? And what distinguishes God from us is that He is holy. He's Father. He's Son. He's Spirit. All three fully God. All three fully persons. And yet, there's this oneness. There's this togetherness. There's this love amongst them and a one-mindedness so that they're essentially come together as one God. And from the fullness of that God, He created. He created male image bearers and female image bearers. And then when those image bearers get along, when we just live together well, we're reflecting that God is three, but He is one. And we are 4,000, but we are one. It's like there's a, a maypole, and Jesus is the maypole, and there's all these strings and threads and different sizes and colors and textures, and, and people are holding on, and they're walking around the maypole, and they got to make sure they don't get in each other's way, and they got to work together. But as they do that, the thing that holds them together is the maypole. And what Jesus did in the gospel is our maypole, and there's energy in the maypole for unity because we go back to who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit, and it's beautiful. And it's a great sermon for a wedding as well. The second thing is Paul says that we will have energy. He says striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That word striving is where we get the word athlete. It means to compete. It means to labor. It's an athletic term in every way. So the good news, the gospel, when we get it right, it will provide us with energy And the energy will be focused, working together, striving side by side towards what? Towards the faith of the gospel. Towards our faith going out towards others so that others can taste the beauty of the gospel. It's not comparing your prowess to anyone. It's only comparing to what you could accomplish as you respond to the gospel. And here's a great point. It's motivated not as much by need, which is huge, but by the conviction that the gospel is the greatest treasure in the world. It is the greatest treasure in the world. And so my wife and I did the summer challenge so that we could try to just set an example of some sort in terms of having people in our home. And we did it striving side by side. We, we worked with some friends named the McGuckins and we invited two families from the running community that we know and you know what? We had to, here's what we did. It said, because it, we've, we've not been perfect at this at all. We said, you know, Sarah and I said, you know what? Instead of us thinking about ourselves, let's not do that. And instead of wondering if they're going to like us and while we're in the meeting, how they're thinking, let's just think, let's just saturate our thoughts and lives with the gospel. And let's just let the overflow of the gospel take this where it will. 
that God, that the gospel begins with God and we get to work with him and let's not overthink it. And we just had a great time. We brought um, Tim Keller's book for each of them, The Reason for God, and we said with boldness, you know, you don't have to sacrifice your intellectual integrity to follow Jesus and gave him that book. And we just shared with them that we loved him. We said, hey, you know what? We're older, you're younger. If we can help you in any way in your marriage or parenting, we'd like to do that. And we left, and they, they responded well, and it's a bridge. And so what we're hoping, this summer challenge isn't just some weird program we're doing, but that we would be overflowing with the gospel, and we would invite people into our home, and as a result of that, we might love the gospel more as a result of it. So two more things. Paul says that they won't be frightened. One of the fruits of the gospel is we will not be frightened. Frightened by Romans, who would say Caesar is Lord, when Paul in Philippians 2 says that his people say Jesus is Lord. But here's what I want you to realize. There are, you might think, is it important that I'm courageous? Is it important that I'm not fearful? I would say yes, for this reason. There are eternal implications of you being courageous. Because look what Paul says. You're not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. So there's something about... God's people living out the gospel, just doing what is right and not being afraid that knocks on the conscience of the people who don't know Jesus and it reminds them of a judgment. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And then the last point that we'll make is that Paul says it's been granted to you. This is so comforting. The word granted to you literally means for it has been graced to you. Just like God's grace saved us, God's grace brings us into suffering so that we might savor Christ so that his gifts aren't our portion, but he is our portion. To you has been graciously given on behalf of Christ, this one whose full scope we thought about, to suffer on his behalf. If we get hold of the gospel, we will look at suffering in a different light. Don Bartimus prayed for Bess Malik, and here's something from Bess's blog that I wanted to read to you in closing. By the way, if you don't know, if you're new here, we're glad you're here. And uh, Bess is a, uh, a woman whose 43-year-old husband, about three or four weeks ago, just slipped into a coma no reason, couldn't figure it out. He's been in ICU all this time. And here's what her blog has said. I just got back from a bike ride, an important one. I needed to ride alongside my sensitive second grader and to take note of what was present in his heart. We were companionably quiet much of the time, discussed pros and cons of various superheroes. Later, I made him look at me, right at me, as we talked about Joseph and what God was doing in this Old Testament story of a man who didn't have many answers or options as he waited in an Egyptian prison. I think my son heard. On the way back, as I pointed out a passing dogwood, Benjamin became thoughtful. People just go past things and you know, they don't notice it. You know what I mean? I don't want to be like that. I know what he means. More so today than yesterday or the day before. Today we notice with thankfulness that Bahar's body has begun to initiate breaths on its own unassisted attempts to breathe over the vent. We thank God that he rested well today in a balance of mystery. Tomorrow is a new day to learn about the presence of God and may I not rush past his mercies. 
make it our daily battle to daily rehearse the full scope of the gospel. This is where it's going to be won or lost in your lives. Make it a daily battle to daily rehearse the full scope of the gospel. Two quick notes and then we'll stand and have a benediction. Tonight at 5 o'clock, if you need prayer, in the prayer room, Don Bartimus, Cheryl Bartimus, Andrew and Jenny Rogers will be there for you as pastors. They would love to pray with you. If you have any kind of unique needs or ununique needs, their none needs are unique, but if you need help. And then at 6 o'clock, Eric Anderson and I are going to work together and lead a Fresh Encounter prayer service. It's going to be lively and engaging and energetic, and we're going to focus a little bit on the gospel. So please, you are welcome to come tonight at 6 o'clock. Five for the personal prayer, six for the public prayer. And what we'll do tonight, if you don't mind, we'll just stand up right now. And we'll just kind of give you guys a test. (laughs) Can you remember the sermon title, the 13 words that we had on the screen a few times? I'm going to say the first word, and then I'm going to just be quiet, and I hope you guys um, encourage me by your response, okay? Only... Not bad. Let's try it when I speak too so you can hear me. Ready? (laughs) Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.